This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So this is the night of the year where we normally get a little crazy in a sobering kind of way. We take off our shoes and we go barefoot. We get on our knees. We wash each other's feet. And some of you are really missing that tonight. And some of us, well, some people I know, are not. <laughs> they just don't like the foot washing thing. Like, I know this guy, I know this guy, and he, like, loves everything about Monday, Thursday, but he's not exactly crying that we're not doing foot washing. I won't tell you who he is, but he is a high-ranking official, and uh, his name rhymes with Wat Moodley, okay? <laughs> I can tell you this much. So, Watt just doesn't like this, or so I hear, the foot washing thing. I have good reasons. <clears throat> I mean, I read this article in National Geographic about the array of fungi that grow on the feet. Wow, that was sobering. And relieving that we're not doing it tonight, but um, and feet are just—they're awkward, you know. They're awkward. You just—it's personal. So anyway, um, it's not for me. But here's the great thing. Here's the wonderful thing about being a follower of Jesus. And now I'm serious. I'm totally serious. The wonderful thing about following Jesus is—it's not all about me, and it's not all about you, and it's not all about what I like and and what I don't like. It's something bigger. I'm part of a bigger story. And Jesus sets me free from some of my natural inclinations that are disordered or just need to grow. I need to grow up. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis once said that he, didn't really, he wasn't really fond of young children, but he said, that's not young children's fault. That's my fault. I just need, I need to change. I need to be converted. And so... Um, I say tonight that I can say that feet are kind of awkward and ugly, but I love foot washing. I love what it represents. I love what happens in us as a church when we do it. I love the changes in me as I press into this. You see, because foot washing is, is like we get a glimpse into the beating heart of the church. We see the heart of the church. And this is the heart of the church. It's a church. A church is a place where we create this community centered around Jesus where it is safe. It's a safe place to be vulnerable. It's a safe place to be broken. It's a safe place to bring your sin. It's a safe place to bring the best of you. It's a safe place to bring the very worst of you. And that is embodied in this act of foot washing, which you heard in this gospel passage. It's Jesus's, the church is Jesus's foot washing brigade. So let me give you what it is in just a, a let me give you a verbal statement, uh, a propositional statement rather than the, the beautiful picture that we're going to look at in the gospel. A propositional statement about foot washing is you start right here. You start in this place with this group of people with all their flaws, all their brokenness, all their sinfulness, you start with this group of people and you stay put, you stay there, you move into it so that you can serve people with small and hidden acts of love. 
this group of people stay put, small, hidden acts of love. That's what foot washing is all about. And on Monday, Thursday, we awaken that longing to become that kind of church. We say, Lord Jesus, make us a foot washing kind of church. Whether we literally do it, like we won't tonight, or, or we literally do, which we probably will next year, we hope. We want it, we say, Lord, make us that kind of church. That's the passage that you heard read in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And if you have your Bibles out, I invite you to turn to it, or you can just follow along um, as I walk through it. But basically, this passage is, is a really simple passage. And, and it's basically a demonstration and then instruction. So basically, watch Jesus. Watch what he does. He's the master foot washer. Watch Jesus, and then be like Jesus. So first, watch Jesus. So John chapter 13, the Gospel of John, one of the four Gospels, one of the four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, written by a man we call St. John. Uh, for the first 12 chapters in this, he's basically talking about, he's going really big and almost cosmic. He talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's, it's big, it's cosmic. <clears throat> and then in chapter 13, there's like a new section here as a, as a pivot. And Jesus is going to turn, and he's with now what the, the text, what the Gospel of John calls his own, that phrase, his own. So chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the Feast of the Passover, this great Jewish festival, Jesus was Jewish to the core. He's in the Gospel, especially in the Gospel of John, he's always going to the Jewish feasts and festivals. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So his own is this, this little band of disciples. It's like his church in embryonic form. That's, that's his own. And I can summarize chapter 13 to 17, this section on his own in one word, love. In, in those five chapters, the, love, the word love is mentioned 31 times. It's obviously the, the theme. And, and notice here in verse 1, it starts off by saying, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, that phrase to the end is probably a double meaning because John loved these double meanings, and it probably meant like length. He loved them. He endured with them. He didn't stop loving them, but also depth to the utmost. He loved them to the utmost. He, so you can't get any longer, you can't get any deeper than the love of Jesus. And here we're going to see, see, we're going to go smack into the, love is mentioned so many times, but it's a very specific definition of love. It's not just you, in this, you can't just define it any way you want, because this is a very specific kind of love. It's, it's not a feeling. It's not a slogan. It is love in action. It's costly love in action to imperfect, sometimes unlovely people. So, a great quote from the writer Dostoevsky uh, maybe you've seen this quote. It kind of makes the rounds, but really profound quote. He said, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. In other words, I can dream about love, and love is just always easy when I dream about it. But when I actually get close to somebody, when I spend a lot of time with somebody, when they start spending a lot of time on me, that's when our issues come out, right? And then that's not as much fun. 
Love and action is, is a hard thing. We need a Jesus intervention to teach us love and action. So that's what we get in verse 1. Jesus is intervening into the world. He's intervening into our lives. He's intervening into our church. He's intervening into our relationships and our situations. He's giving us an intervention. I want to show you how to love. So who are these? Remember I said it's specific people. You start here, right? Right here, right with the people around you. Who are the people that were around Jesus this night that he washed their feet? Who are the people that are there? Well, we know some of them. Let me tell you a little bit, little brief bios. We got James and John. They're the guys that got their mama. They got their mommy to try to help them get a better place in Jesus' kingdom when it comes. So could you get my boys? They got one on your right and one on your left. Really ticked off the other disciples, caused a lot of dissension, as you can imagine. There's Andrew. Andrew, the first, or Nathaniel, I'm sorry, Nathaniel, the first time he meets Jesus, he says, he hears Jesus is from a small town called Nazareth. He goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's the original snark artist. He's cynic. He's negative. Anything good come out of Nazareth, that podunk little town. And then there's Peter. Love Peter. All through all four Gospels, he's going, Jesus, listen, these guys are weak. They're going to fall away. They can't hack it. But you can count on me, Jesus. I'll be there. I'm not going to crumble. I don't even need to be. I don't need to. You don't need to wash my feet. They need their feet washed. But me, I'm fine. And if you read the Gospels, you know that didn't turn out very well, right? The guy just collapses like a little house of cards. Poof. Fall down. Good old Peter. And then look at this. Here's the best or the worst. Verse 2. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. This guy is there. And Jesus washes his feet. We can only assume he did. The text doesn't say, and he washed all the disciples' feet, except for Judas. He washed his feet. This guy who's... who's opening himself up. We don't know how far along is the process, but he's opening himself up to the devil. He's opening himself up to demonic powers. He doesn't know what he's messing with. He's in deep, deep trouble. He's in deep darkness. He probably doesn't know it at this point, but Jesus still loves Judas. So what happens next? In verse 3, John tells us, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, think of that power, the privilege, the authority that Jesus has. All things of God the Father. He has it. He, he came from God. He's going back to God. What a life. So what's he going to do? Something big, Jesus. We've got we to gotta roll this out we got to do something powerful. you got to do something powerful with that power. you got to do something authoritative with that authority. we got to crush some people. Let's go, Jesus. What happens next? Verse 4. He rose from supper, Jesus. He laid aside his outer garment and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So, if you've ever traveled in the developing world, you know that many places in the world do not have good sanitation systems. 
They did not have good sanitation systems back here. So people would take their animal waste, their human waste, their trash, and they'd throw it somewhere, sometimes in the street, and you would walk through some of this stuff sometimes. It wasn't a very good system. And so then when you arrived at your friend's house for dinner, someone would be assigned, usually the lowest person on the social status uh, level, the lowest person you could find, that would be the person that would wash the feet of the guests. So here are the disciples, and nobody's done this yet. So I imagine the disciples sitting around, and Peter's going, oh, man, no way am I going to ask, am I going to wash Nathaniel's feet? That guy's a snark. He's so negative. Maybe James and John are going, Peter's just such, so pompous. He's so arrogant. I'm not going to wash his feet. They're just going, no, I, nobody's going to wash each other's feet. Of course, Jesus, he rises from the table. He takes off his outer garment. So now he has the, just basically a long T-shirt. Some scholars think that he actually took off that as well. So now he's basically in his just kind of a loincloth in the, the clothing. But either way, he's in the clothing of the poorest of the poor. He's in the clothing of the oppressed of the oppressed. He's in the clothing of the, the smallest, the most powerless of the powerless to, to identify with the the human condition as fully as possible. It's a really powerful statement. And so there's Jesus, and he bends down and begins to wash their feet, goes around, washes all of their feet. Now, I want us to understand, this is not just theater. Jesus isn't just like, this is just a little slice of my life. This is his whole life. His whole existence was this V-shaped coming down, entering into our suffering, entering into our sorrow, entering into our vulnerability, and then coming out again as the true Lord, but truly identifying with us. And that was his whole life. Jesus said, and here's the, here's the shocking thing, throughout the whole Gospel of John, he says, when you see the Father doing, when you see me doing something, you see God the Father doing something. I and the Father are one. We are on the same page with everything. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was God in human flesh. So when you see me washing your dirty feet, you are seeing God the Father. This is what he does. He is the foot-washing God. He will stoop and wash your grimy feet. One of my heroes was a guy named John Stott. Um, many people call him Uncle John. I never got to meet him, but he actually preached at the church where I was pastor out in Long Island. And I found an old cassette tape of one of his sermons. So he was a British guy, single celibate man his whole life, um, devoted his whole life to, raising, to preaching the word of God and raising up next generation leaders. So he mentored hundreds, if not thousands, of men and women from around the world, countries all over the place, always traveling, always speaking. And after he died, stories came out about him. And you're thinking, oh, no, bad stories. No, good stories, secrets. So what he did was he would often sneak around in the middle of the night and wash everybody's muddy boots and shoes in the house and then go back to bed. I actually met a guy in Mexico City named Saul Cruz who said that as a teenager, he met John Stott. And they were staying in the same house. They were staying in the same guest house. And this guy, this young guy, Saul, had traveled through Mexico City through the muddy streets, and he woke up the next morning, and his boots were immaculate. 
So he asked the, the woman who was the maid of the family, said, did you, did you wash my boots? She said, of course not. I wouldn't wash your boots. You're just a kid. And then he asked the, man, the, the lady of the house, the woman of the house, did, did you, ma'am, did you wash my boots? No, I did not wash your boots. Then he came to John Stott. He said, Uncle John, my, my boots were muddy, and I got up this morning. They're clean. Did you wash my boots? And John Stott said, shh, so you can't tell anybody until after I die that I did this for you. I don't know. I think he traveled with a little boot cleaning kit or something, you know, wherever he went. It's like just walking around like this devious little guy cleaning boots, you know. So Saul told me this story after Uncle John Stott had died, I think. Okay, that's a pretty amazing story. But the God of the universe getting on his knees and self-emptying love? Who's heard of this? I read one Bible scholar who said, we have no record in any ancient history of any person of a superior status washing the feet of someone of an inferior status. It was unheard of. And yet, look at the way this Jesus ends. So he, in verse, in verse 12, he says, when he had washed their feet and put on his armor garments and resumed his place, he said to them, in other words, this is this V-shaped. It's like, I am, I really am the Lord. I really am the God of the universe. And I'm sitting on my rightful throne. But this is what I do. I'm the God of power and authority who washes people's feet. You know, when you get that, it knocks you off your throne of self. It knocks you off your preoccupation with yourself. It sets you free. It really sets you free from yourself. So the first thing here is watch Jesus. Watch him when you read the Gospels. Watch him at his life. Watch his, the way he heals and touches a leper. Watch him when he heals and touches this, this woman who's got this disease she struggled with for 18 years in, in the Gospels. Watch him when he dies on the cross. Watch him when he comes to you in the bread and the wine as we celebrate Eucharist. And let me just say, right, just, just pause and just say, even, even tonight, if you feel like the Lord Jesus is, is drawing you to himself, maybe you've thought, well, Jesus is a historical person, I can agree with that, but you've never thought of him as someone who's actually pursuing you in love and desires to transform your heart. You've never thought of that before. Maybe tonight is the night that you will open your heart to the Lord Jesus and say, I, I believe in you. I want to follow you. Or maybe you'll at least say, I want to I learn more, Jesus. I want to learn what it means to be your disciple. So we watch Jesus, and then we act like Jesus. So this is a great, one of these great Bible texts because when you're a preacher because Jesus himself gives the application to the sermon. And he says in verse 12, he says, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand this? Okay, here's a quiz. Here's a quiz of what, if you really understand this. And he goes on to say, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. I love what somebody said about Jesus. Jesus was the most humble person in the world, but he was not modest. Think of that. He was humble. He washed his feet, but he's not modest. I am the Lord and teacher. So I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. It's not just a good 
concept. It's not just beautiful. It's not just moving. I've given you an example. I want you to live this way. Verse 17 is the clincher and the the wrap-up. He says, if you know these things, again, you want to pass the test? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you live your life on the pattern of a foot washer. And, and the thing about washing feet in the church is that sometimes we're the washer. We're washing other people's feet. Sometimes we're the washee. Sometimes we need others to wash our feet because we're broken, we're weary, we're sinful, we get dirty. So it works both ways. So remember, start. Here's where you can start. Start with a flawed community, the church, right here. These people right here. Maybe you will send somebody a word of encouragement this week. Maybe you will text somebody or send somebody a note or call somebody. Maybe you will just say, hey, I've been praying for you. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? Um, or maybe it will be invite somebody over for a meal or a cup of coffee. You know one of the most powerful things you can do to wash somebody's feet in our culture, in our frantic, busy, fractured, contentious culture? Here it is. Listen to somebody. Listening is such a powerful, simple act of love. It's like, it's like the modern-day equivalent of foot washing for many of us to just have somebody listen to us. You know, i got to say, I, I hope this year, this year with all the tumult, the things that this nation has been through, I hope that all of us are learning to listen to people. I hope especially we're learning to listen to our friends, our persons, people of color, our Latino friends, our Asian friends, our black American friends, I hope we're learning to listen. You know, City of Light, I know you're watching this, and it is a weird thing. Bishop, it's a weird thing when your kids grow up, and, and Deacon Val, your kids grow up, and your kids start teaching you things, you know? It's weird, but it's wonderful. Your kids start modeling some things for you when the whole time you've been the model. And City of Light, I just want to say, you've been a model for us in this. And Aviva Church, you've been a model for us in this. And, and we thank you. So Father Trevor and Bonnie, and Bonnie's my daughter, so she teaches me things these days. But, but you have been teaching us. And I know, the bishop would, I, I know the bishop has said this to me as well. So we just appreciate you and your work so much. I also hope we're learning to listen to the global church. Um, do you know, so in 1900, the year 1900, 80% of Christians, people who said they were followers of Jesus, lived in the uh, North America or Europe. Today, that statistic is completely flipped. 80% of the Christian population in the world lives in the global south, in Africa. 26 million Ni Nigerian Anglicans alone. And one of our spiritual mentors is um, Archbishop Kawashi and his wife, Mama Kawashi. They have become our mentors. We are, that's one of the things I appreciate about Res. That's one of the appreciate, things I appreciate about the Anglican Church in North America that we're a part of. I, we have these partnerships with the global church, and they're really precious to us. 
As Jesus' foot-washing brigade, we are seeking opportunities to wash people's feet. So when we see dirty feet, it's not just a hassle. It's not just a hindrance. It's not just an interruption. It is an opportunity to apply the message of Jesus in our everyday lives. And that's a good thing. As Jesus said in verse 17, again, he said, if you, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And as we wash each other's feet, as we do these small and hidden acts of love for each other, and, and as we allow people to do them for us, it binds us to the church. And that binding binds us to our Lord, Jesus. There is bonding power in those small, hidden acts of love. I think John 13 is the message to the church in every age is, is this. When the world seems like it's going crazy, when everything seems like it's unraveling, when evil seems to be rising, when the darkness and scariness of the world seems to be rising, don't first try to do something spectacular. First, do something small. Do something hidden. Do something ordinary. An act of love that will bless and serve somebody else. You know, I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, man, it has been a hard year to be the church. Hasn't it? It has been hard. We had days, weeks on end, when we had 10 people in here. We had weeks where we were, could just barely get a little over 100 people in here. It was hard. It was painful. Maybe some of you here, or maybe some of you watching live stream, you just, you got disconnected. Maybe it was through some laxity on your part, but maybe it was just through genuine fear, um, understandable anxiety. Um, it's just, it's hard to be the church. It's hard to be part of the church. It's hard to be bonded to the church. Maybe you're struggling with some sins, some secret sin. Maybe like Judas, you've opened yourself to the, to the demonic. Maybe you're in a really bad place. Here's the message from the church, from our Lord on Monday, Thursday. You can come home. You can come home to the church. This is a place where we We'll wash your feet. We won't do it perfectly, but we desire to follow our Lord and to do that. I've been reading a novel by Marilyn Robinson called Home, and Home is a story about two adult children, Glory and Jack, who come back home, both after sort of some bad things happen in their life, and they come home. Jack is now 40 years old. Glory is a little younger. Jack has spent the last 20 years, he has not come home in 20 years. He's truly a prodigal son. And he's come home because his life has fallen apart. He had a relationship with a woman that's fallen apart, and he's struggling with an alcohol addiction. So his life, his life is a mess. He feels a lot of shame. He feels spiritually disconnected. Uh, Glory and um, their minister father are, are both believers, would both be considered Christians. 
And at one point in the novel, Jack gets so low, he tries to commit, he gets, he gets drunk and he tries to commit suicide. And Glory takes him, finds the, the place where he tried to commit suicide, and she, um, she takes him and, and helps him get inside, and then she brings him up to his childhood bed where he used to sleep as a child, and she puts him on the bed. And, uh, and then the narrator says this, Jack was relieved to lie down on his own bed as if he had been too long away from home and had come back again to a kind of rest that meant that's all over now, or at least I know it will be over sometime. And then Glory doesn't know what to do, so she does what her mother always did, which is to cook something. And again, the narrator says, after every calamity, her mother, Glory's mother, would fill the atmosphere of the house with the smell of cinnamon rolls or brownies or with chicken and dumplings, and it would mean this house has a soul that loves us all no matter what. I can't help but think of the food as like a Eucharistic image, you know? We have a meal. It would mean peace. The meal would mean peace if they had fought and amnesty if they had been in trouble. It had meant you can come down to dinner now. I love that. I think that's what Mother Church says. Part of the, re when we talk about the word repenting, we mean, we mean simply like, I'm over here, I'm going this way, I've had a realization, and now I want to come this way. I want to come, but it's always, repentance is always from something bad to not just something good, but home. It's to home. It's to the place where the food is cooked. It's to the place where you've been too long away from home. It's the place where you get amnesty if you've been in trouble. It's the place you can come down to dinner now. So I want to tell you, come home. There's only one way to bond to Jesus and his church, and that's by pressing into it. And maybe some of you have had really legitimate reasons for being away. Maybe there's an invitation now to come home. You can do it in a safe way. You can do it in a socially distanced way. You can do it however you feel comfortable. But a time to press back into the church. And you might say, ah, it's too vulnerable. I can't do that. That's too scary. And I would say, yeah, I think every one of us understand that. Every one of us have probably been through that at some point. But if you take a step in, the Lord will take a huge step back to you. Maybe you'll come tomorrow or come to the Good Friday. Outdoor service, 3 p.m. Maybe come Easter Sunday, 10 a.m. No sign-ups. Just come. You don't need to sign up. Come home to the church. And maybe this week you'll find somebody that needs their feet washed. And you'll say, Lord, help me wash that person's feet. And maybe you'll be the washee. Maybe you'll say, Lord, I need my feet washed. That's how we live together. It's Jesus' foot washing brigade. That's how we live together with Jesus and his church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. 
As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.